0: We're in Isaiah chapter 6, first 11 verses. If you have a bulletin in your hand, you can follow along, or you can follow along in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 11. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me i cried i am ruined for i am a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people calloused, for their ears dull and close their eyes otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed then i said for how long lord and he answered until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged three years ago
1: in the summertime he also looked at the book of, of
0: isaiah and
1: um <laughs> And I thought we would do different passages, but as I looked at it, I go, how can you preach passages in Isaiah without doing Isaiah chapter 6? So uh, in my lifetime, I've probably heard 30 sermons on this passage. I'm sure you've heard uh, probably as many, and uh, I've also preached on it a number of times, but it is a classic passage on uh, the holiness of God and who God is and the greatness of God, and uh, the effect that that should have on us and what it should mean to us. And uh, Dan already read the passage, so let's just go to the next screen there, Lynn. So Isaiah chapter 6, next slide. So here's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, verses 1 through 4, the revelation of God what he sees when he goes to the throne room, and what it means about God. Isaiah's response, woe is me, I'm undone. So his unworthiness and his confession. Verses 6 through 7, Isaiah is cleansed. Takes the, the seraphim takes a coal from the altar and touches it to his lips. Kind of sizzles the lips, cleanses him and atones for his sins. Verse eight, God asks for volunteers. Who will go for us? Isaiah, here am I. Send me, Isaiah. Volunteers. I think the God God would ask the same question of us today. Who will go for us? And our response should be, I will. And then God gives a distasteful and judgmental message. Be ever hearing and never understanding, ever seeing, but never grasping. So that's the outline. Go to the next slide. So what is God like? Notice verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, sometimes uh, politics is so distasteful and uh, the book of Isaiah is a book about politics and Isaiah is the court prophet and uh, he is uh, a member of the nobility himself and uh, he is a prophet to four different kings, one of them being Uzziah, Uzziah the longest reigning king of Judah, very prosperous times, and uh, things seem to be going well, and in the year that King Uzziah died, you could think times are changing, and they're not going to be for the better. What is going to happen? And that is the year in which Isaiah sees this vision, and he sees God, and it kind of doesn't matter that King Uzziah dies. Because the Lord doesn't. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the world. And you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to the nation. uh, Because it's not up to the human beings that run the nations or the human beings that think they're in charge. Because the Lord is seated on the throne. So the first thing you see about God is that he reveals himself. And uh, we believe in a God reveals himself and communicates himself to us and uh, so prophets have visions and God speaks to people and they write it down in his word and that is vital we have a revealed religion revealed religion this is not us sitting down and thinking about what God is like that's what every other religion is like You come up with the ideas inside of yourself. Our religion comes down to us from God. It's revealed to us from him. And then the prophet writes down the vision. Uh, Often you read in the word of God, in the Bible, the Lord says, God says, or God said. We have a God who reveals himself. That's point number one. So he sees the Lord seated on a throne. This is God giving him this vision. What does he see about God? Well, God is living. God is living. In the year that the king dies, he sees God alive and well and seated on the throne. Every single person alive on the planet today, 7.4 billion, 7.5 billion, in 110 years, maybe one will be living, maybe. All the rest will be dead, and there will be 7 billion different people, maybe. All gone. The Lord never changes. Uzziah's dead. Seems like everything's coming to an end. The Lord's on the throne. His son comes to the throne. He dies. The Lord's on the throne. His son comes to the throne. He dies. The Lord's on the throne. His son comes to the throne. Hezekiah. He dies. The Lord's on the throne. You can go on and on down through history. King after king after king after king. God is living. Point number three. God is sovereign and majestic. He is the king. After all, he's high and exalted and he's seated on a throne. In verse five, he says, my eyes have seen the king. God is working and he's reigning and he's in charge of all things. God is overwhelmingly splendorous. Notice the text says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Train of his robe filled the temple. He's so great that his cloak, his train coming off the back just circles around the whole room. There's no room for anybody else because he's such a great person and a great God. He's so majestic. It's a good thing those seraphim can fly because there's nowhere for them to stand in that room. He is so great. Let's go to the next slide. I think I got some pictures. This Queen Elizabeth. Uh, notice her train. Um, I think this is coronation you go to the next slide see how long that train is just trying to picture how majestic and how important she is and so you have this huge long train uh, God's is even longer than that fills the whole room you can't have people standing there beside like, like uh, Queen Elizabeth does um, one more I think from her wedding nice long train she's so important that you can have just a long bridal train uh, going way down the aisle okay if you go back Lynn back 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 there we go thank you Um, it's interesting that when he describes God can't even start to describe God sitting on his throne God is too majestic and too great he has to look at the train the train fills the temple. Um, it's like sometimes Joanne will say to me, did you see what so-and-so was wearing today at church? And I will say, well, they were wearing clothes. I-, I don't know what they were wearing. But every once in a while, you might I might be able to describe their shoes or something like that. He was wearing brown shoes funny that when you go to describe God you can't even talk about what he looks like it's everything else he's so splendorous you can see his train or you can see people around him but you can't quite catch a glimpse of him and so he talks about the train and then he talks about the attendants the seraphim the seraphim is only used in this place in the bible and it means burning ones um, and I think these are just special angelic beings in the presence of God, designed just for the presence of God, and they are there in his presence all the time. In the book of Ezekiel, you see that they're called four living creatures, or in the book of Isaiah, also described as uh, wonderful four beings. And um, notice they have six wings And with two, they cover their face. God is so majestic and so splendorous, they can't even look at God. And with two, they cover their feet. God is so holy that they have to cover themselves up because they can't show themselves in the presence of God. And with two, they fly around, and it's a good thing because the train fills the temple. We have a God who is splendorous and majestic, overwhelmingly so. And then notice that they speak. Verse 3. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And they call that back and forth. So the one says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Whole earth is full of His glory. And then the next one goes, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then the next one says that back. Over and over and over again, the seraphim speak, and the words they speak convey the most important and most insightful truths about God. And I've got uh, seven points with multiple subpoints. Notice, we're not left to wonder what we should think when we see the vision of God. We're not left to wonder what should I think. Um, Should I make something up? After all, that's what it is to be made in the image of God. As human beings, we have the capacity for speech and communication. And so we can have a relationship with God where he speaks to us and we speak to him. And so here we have these words from the throne room. And I think they're meant for us as human beings. Here's what you need to know about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it goes on and on. Notice the refrain is repeated. And it's repeated often. The truths are so deep and so awesome that these great beings say it back and forth. I wonder if they say it so that they're constantly reminded. Or is it constantly to remind the puny humans who are hearing it? I remember one time I was tricked. I forget where I was. We were singing a song. I I I think it was with a group of pastors. We were singing a song. And there was a chorus, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the song leader made us keep singing it over and over again. I don't like singing something more than twice. About the fifth time I was going, This guy's stupid. I was thinking that. I didn't say it. I was thinking, this guy's stupid. He's got us singing the same thing over and over and over again. Like, this is ridiculous. Then the preacher gets up, and he goes, I told him to do that, and had him do that on purpose. Because when you go to heaven, you're going to hear this over and over and over and over and over again. It's okay to repeat things that are true and worshipful and capture the majesty of God. Those are the things you should repeat, full of meaning. And so here in the throne room of God, they're just repeating this back and forth. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. If it's taking place in the throne room of God, then it's right. Notice, holy, God is transcendent part of what holiness is. He's beyond us. Too much for us. Holy. And yet God is imminent. His glory fills the earth. So this external external manifestation of the greatness of God, that's glory. External manifestation of his greatness fills the earth. We see it all the time. We hear it all the time. The glory of God. That's imminent. God is both transcendent and he's imminent. We can touch him. And I would expect they would say, Holy, holy is the Lord. Heaven is filled with his glory. That's not what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Why single out these two ideas? There are so many ideas about God. The angels could have said, Love, love, love is the Lord. The earth is full of his love. Or they could have said, Mercy, mercy, mercy is the Lord, and the earth is full of his grace. But this word captures the uniqueness of God, that God is holy. Now the word "holy" means literally to set apart, to be unique and distinct. Does not necessarily mean righteous. I think that's what we hear when we hear "holy" or "holiness." We hear "righteous" or "righteousness." It means to set apart. Um, I had a professor who wrote a book on Leviticus and Isaiah. Here's how he puts it. He says, if I may simplify it, it means there is no one like the Lord in the universe. He is unique. He is one of a kind. So he is holy, holy, holy. And so everything else can be set apart to God. So in the Bible, we have holy ground. That's ground that's set apart to God. We have a holy Sabbath. We have a holy nation. We have holy people. That's the people of God. We have a holy place. We have the most holy place. We have holy robes and holy oil, holy incense and holy seed, holy bread, holy censers. Now, we don't have any holy molies in the Bible. However, we do have holy prostitutes. Those are the the prostitutes of Baal. So these are prostitutes set apart for the worship of Baal. So they called them holy prostitutes. So this is a prostitute that if you went and saw her, that was a worship act for Baal. Holy means to be set apart. But when you're set apart to our God, the God of the Bible... Being set apart to him means taking on his characteristics and his perfections. And so when you are holy and set apart to our God, that also includes righteousness and truth and moral perfection. Notice that they say it three times, holy, holy, holy. That's as holy as you can get, sometimes in the Hebrew language, in order to say lots, you would just repeat the word. So in Genesis 14, there's a valley that's full of pits, and it calls them pits, pits. In other words, they're deep pits, or there's lots of pits, or they're the pitiest pits that you've ever seen. So when he says, holy, 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 He's saying, like, this is the most holy that it could possibly be. It's the holiest of all. That's the Lord of hosts. No one else like him. When he says, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. How is the, how is the whole earth full of the glory of God? Notice he says it's full of the glory of God. And it's all the earth, not just part of it. All the earth is full of the glory of God. Well, first of all, creation shows us the glory of God. Shows us his power, creativity, his knowledge, his wisdom. We have the word of God, so the whole earth is full of the knowledge of God. One man put it this way, God's too large to be confined to one place. can't just dwell in a temple. He's not just found in heaven. He's everywhere. Or the bounteous nature of the earth, just a reflection of God's being. But I think the best way that the glory of God is displayed in the world is through the coming and the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate display of the glory of God. You take all of God's greatness and his magnificence how are you going to show that? He shows it best and in, the, and, and in the most insightful way when he puts his son on the cross. It magnifies his love. It shows us his justice. It shows us what he thinks of sin. But it also shows us what he, has with what he, what he thinks about mercy. Thankfully, we are sitting around a table today displaying the glory of God. That's what this table displays. How great our God is. Isaiah 40 says this, The glory of the Lord will be revealed. All mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He's talking about the coming of John the Baptist and then the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, how should this impact us? Before we get to Isaiah. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, number of you have been to the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is uh, spectacular. And uh, when you're coming up to the Grand Canyon, it's not like coming up to a mountain. When you're coming up to a mountain, you can kind of see it from the distance. But when you come up to the Grand Canyon, it kind of catches you by surprise because you can't see it coming. <laughs> and you keep getting closer, and the closer you get, It just kind of, all of a sudden, boom, it's there. And you can't believe the size of it and the beauty of it and the wonder of it. And nobody goes to the Grand Canyon and thinks, I'm a special person. I'm quite spectacular. Nobody thinks that when they stand before the Grand Canyon. You're too much in awe at what you're seeing before you it's so special so unique you don't see this every day wow look at that that's kind of what is happening in Isaiah 6 as Isaiah sees this vision of God and it's overwhelming and nobody stands before God and nobody gets this wonderful vision of God and thinks to themselves, boy, I'm quite special. Uh, Instead, you start to feel very small and unworthy. And all of those things that you've done wrong in your life are magnified. And the way you've fallen short of the glory of God, and you have, the way you've fallen short of the glory of God is that much worse, because you see how glorious He is and what He deserves. Every, every so often, in fact, every year, people die at the Grand Canyon, and uh, lately they are dying because they're taking selfies. They step over the fence, lean back over the canyon to take a picture of them over the canyon, and they fall. And the same thing happens at Niagara Falls every year. Uh, People stepping over the fence to take pictures of themselves. Uh, Awe, but not enough awe. There's got to be a little bit of fear, (laughs) a healthy respect. And so it is with God. There needs to be a healthy respect. And when you see God in his magnificence and his glory, there's got to be a certain amount of awe because he is also fearful. Okay. Is that 1130? We're halfway through. We have to cover the next verse. My translation. Woe to me. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You've probably heard that uh, Hebrew expression, oy vey. This is the Hebrew word oy, woe. In this case, it's oy oi. Woe to me. Terrible things to me. Bad things. Judgment. Because of terrible deeds. <coughs> and here's Isaiah saying, Woe to me, I'm such a problem. I've got judgment coming to me. Because of what I have said and the people that I live with and who I have seen. Everybody who knows the Lord, every one of you here today who knows the Lord has felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life. And this is the response to that conviction. Woe to me. I'm in trouble. Apart from Jesus Christ and the mercy of God, my future and my present is a dangerous place because of the judgment of God. I'm ruined, destroyed, undone. And Isaiah even gets more specific. He sees in himself, it's his unclean lips, the things that he says that fall short of the glory of God. Here's Isaiah, the greatest of the prophets, when it comes to the loftiness of his words and his language, and yet this, has, this prophet has a problem with the words that come out of his mouth. And not only is he just a man with unclean lips, he lives among a people of unclean lips. Let me just quickly say, I think speech is getting nastier and meaner, and it's the least holy that I've ever seen and heard. We live in a day of political correctness. Detection of racism has been at the forefront, but it has not helped. Bullying is decried by all, and yet it seems that bullying has never been more of a problem. In fact, you can hardly read comments on the Internet because of the nasty things that people say. Now, I, I write, I, it seems to me that things are getting, getting worse However, notice, it's been the same way for 2,760 years. Isaiah was a man of unclean lips, and he lived among a people of unclean lips. Things haven't changed in 2,760 years. People say terrible things. We say terrible things to each other, and we don't say things that honor and praise God. Um, Carol was going home today. I'm hoping she goes to the emergency room. You don't go to the emergency room on a whim. I don't know if any of you have gotten up in the morning and go, you know something, I got nothing to do this morning. I'm going to go to the emergency room just to see what happens, just to see what they've got to say. Um, I hope nobody does that. Maybe they do. You you shouldn't. Nobody comes to Jesus Christ looking for a solution to their sin problem unless they know they're sinners. That's where Isaiah's at. He now recognizes, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got a problem. And when you know you've got a problem, now you can start to find the solution. If you don't know you have a problem, you don't go looking. If you don't know how far short of the glory of God you are, you'll never be undone. That's why you need to see a vision of God. Like Isaiah chapter 6. See how great God is. How special He is. He is unique. He made you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he has provided for that relationship to solve your problem. Out of his love, he sent his son into this world to be your savior, to pay for your sin. And uh, it doesn't take long looking at your life to go, I do have a problem. I need Lord Jesus to help me. Uh, Today, if that's how you feel, I'm undone. I've done wrong things. I have never come to the Lord about those things. Today's the day to do that, to get right with him. That's why we celebrate today Jesus Christ dying on the cross, giving up his body for us,